You are listening to Changing Hearts, Changing Lives, a seminar given by Changing Lives Ministries. Paul Tripp is a counselor and faculty member with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, as well as director of Changing Lives Ministries, a ministry of CCEF. Session 9. Now here's what we are going to be considering uh, as we begin. How can I be one of God's instruments of change? I want you to hear this. By the sovereign act of God's grace, there are ministry opportunities every day of your life. Isn't it amazing? God is so committed to his work of redemption in us. God loves us so much that every day is filled with moments of opportunity. Every moment, every day is full of opportunities to grow and to change. And so I want to look at my everyday life, not just how can I get through my schedule, how can I do what I need to do, how can I get the kids to where, everywhere they need to be, how can I deal with my neighbor, how can I deal with my boss, but I want to have a distinctively ministry uh, model of life. Let me say this, by God's plan, the majority of ministry is not scheduled. It's not enough to say, well, I teach Sunday school. It's not enough to say I'm, in, I'm in, involved in this defined ministry of life. Can I say this? When God called you to himself, he called you to a life of ministry, and that takes place where you live. And the person who stands up here was never meant to be the minister of Christ's church. You are the ministers of Christ's church. His job is to equip you to do what God has called for you to do. You wake up in the morning to ministry. That's what it's like. And so it's important for us to ask the question, what does it mean to be an instrument of change in God's redemptive hands? Now let me give you a, an example. I was a pastor in Scranton, Pennsylvania. You know Scranton. It's a place where the American dream died in 1950. <laughs> and uh, old railroad and coal. And uh, in those days, I was being paid $7,800 a year uh, to do my pastoral work. We didn't have a lot of money. And I decided I wanted to take my children to Hershey Park. Uh, and I had literally ferreted away money for months so we could have this experience. And uh, I had found those discount coupons at the local fast food place. I was so excited. Uh, and I was thinking of a day of familial amusement park bliss. <laughs> you know, children be, who would be riding the ride and they would be looking down at me, watching them ride the ride, and they would say to the person next to them, this ride is very enjoyable, but it's much more pleasurable to be the son of this man who worked so hard to provide this day for me. <laughs> Living with him is a daily amusement park. I had packed a cooler full of food and, and soda. We arrived at the park. I had my coupons. I was ready for this wonderful day. One of my children asked a question that didn't seem to be dangerous at the time. He said, can we get something to drink before we go in the park? Now, I have four children. And they were all young in those days. And mother didn't raise a stupid child. I bought four cans of each kind of soda to avoid global nuclear war. <laughs> and uh, 
except for one kind of soda. And I couldn't resist. It was a really special kind of soda, and they only had two cans in the store. I bought those two cans. Well, when my kids opened the cooler, that's the only kind of soda that anybody wanted. My oldest son, Justin, who, from the day he was born, if he, there was a crack in our parenting, he could drive an 18-wheeler through it, <laughs> had realized that, and he had snuck a can of soda on the way down. He must have gotten under the seat of the van and drunk it upside down. <laughs> but that's no problem. It's soda. And so the kids just descended on this cooler. They started pulling at one another's clothes, hitting one another, sticking their heads in ice, hitting one another cans of soda. I couldn't believe it. My day of familial amusement park bliss is going. Now, immediately I thought, this is a wonderful moment of ministry, and God is revealing the hearts of my children. I jump in, I say, you want to fight? You, you can fight for free. I'll take you home. We'll put a cooler in the yard, one can of soda, and you can fight forever. We don't need to pay all this money to fight. I'm going like this. All of a sudden, they're not fighting because they're watching the crowd gather. Now, see, listen. I want to say this to you. That's not just a father who's getting irritated at his children. That's a man who's forgotten his identity. You know why God was revealing the hearts of my children? Can I tell you this? To rescue them and to rescue me. Because the wonderful counselor is not done with any of us. He's working on everybody. He's getting through their hearts, he's getting at my heart. And he wants me to be part of what he's doing. And the wise father is parenting me so that as he parents me, I can parent my children. But you can't get there if you don't have a ministry mentality. You see, by the time we got to that park, it wasn't about loving my children. It was about me. And their job was to make me happy. And I want to say this to you, and it will step on your toes. We are very skilled at turning moments of ministry into moments of anger. And so it's important for us to visit what in the world does it look like to be an instrument in God's redemptive hands. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul is talking about his ministry, but then the discussion expands to all of our ministry. And I'm going to jump in the middle of the discussion here, if you would permit me to do that. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 14. Follow carefully the words here. For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that 
those who live should no longer live for what? Themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Praise God. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and has committed to us the message of reconciliation. Now, pay careful attention. We are, therefore, Christ's ambassadors. As though we, God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For he says, in the time of my favor I heard you, and the day of salvation I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. You want to know your calling? You want to know how you are to approach every moment of your life? The squabble over the last donut at breakfast. The problem of leaving for church too late. The difficulty you have communicating as a couple things you see in the life of another person. How are you supposed to respond to all that? One word captures it all. You have been called to be God's ambassadors. Now what does an ambassador do? An ambassador does only one thing, 24-7. He represents. There is a king who has sovereignly placed you exactly where you are. And he is calling you to function as his ambassador. Now, what does an ambassador do? Let me give you three words that will help you here. An ambassador, first of all, represents the message of the king. An ambassador carries what the king wants to say into particular moments. Your job is to represent God's will in that moment. It, the issue is not what you want. The issue is not what the other person wants. The issue is what is God doing? What does God want to accomplish? What does God want in this moment? Listen. God's goal for that day was not just wonderful rides. God's goal for that day was not a tour of the chocolate factory. God's goal in giving us that wonderful day as a family was to do something even more wonderful that's expose hearts so that His grace could touch those hearts. That day is a day of God's favor. That day is a day of salvation. Where does God bring His grace? In the parking lots of amusement parks. Where does God bring us salvation? In vans crowded with people who don't want to be with one another. 
Where does God do His wonderful work of change by His grace, completing His work of salvation over the supper table when an innocuous conversation has all of a sudden turned very creepy? God is saying, this is a moment of salvation. This is a moment of grace. My favor is here. I stood in a parking lot. I couldn't see God. I couldn't see His favor. All I could see was my children who were irritating me. And I quit being an ambassador. Second thing, an ambassador represents the methods of the king. I don't ask just what God would say and want. I ask, how would he do what he does? I don't think my Lord would be saying, you want to fight? I'm God, I'll fight with you. Just doesn't, I look through the Gospels, I just don't see those kind of moments in Jesus' life. It's out of character. It's out of character. And so I, have, I don't have to wonder. I've got a standard. I'm representing somebody, and so I look to him. He's my model of ministry. You see, the Bible is not just full of theology. Brothers and sisters, the Bible is full of methodology as well. You want to know how to be part of redemption? Watch the Redeemer. And you'll learn how he brings change into people's lives. Nicodemus is a Pharisee, wants to talk to the Messiah at night. You could probably read in the story that he's a little bit afraid. Jesus doesn't say to him, hey, I'm the Messiah. You want to see me? See me at the steps of the temple. I'm not going to meet you at night. No, he doesn't do that. And then the third thing is the character of the king. What is the spirit, what is the heart that drives ministry? Oh, this is so clear in Scripture. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve and give his life a ransom for many. I want you to put on your crash helmets and fasten your seat belts because I want to give you a truth that will change your lives. I don't think this is, a, this is an overstatement. If you want to be part of the life that God would produce in the people around you, are you ready for this? It will take your death. And it's only as you and I are willing to die to all that we want and all that we hold dear and all that we fight for and all that we think is our right, it's only in that death that we will be part of the marvelous life that God can produce in the lives of other people. A guy called me on the phone who had been 
perennially depressed, suicidal several times. He always had the, he had the remarkable ability to call me at times when I was going to do something with my family. I was growingly embittered. He called me one Saturday afternoon just as we were at, literally getting ready to go to a state park. Told me he was in some seedy motel and he was going to take his life. I, uh, I didn't want to go talk to him. I was angry as I got off the phone, but I didn't think I could not go. I drove up there, but I didn't drove, drive up with a ministry mentality. I drove up anger, angry. He, uh, he invited me into his room. The room was, was one of those terrible places, so filthy I didn't, I didn't want to sit on a chair. He told me a sad story once again. And probably in a way more cynical than I knew at the time, I, I gave him the gospel once again. And he spit it back in my face. This depressed man said to me, you don't have anything else than that sorry stuff you've always given me. And I lost it. And I ripped off his face in my anger. Now, I, I started driving home. I had about a 20-minute ride home. And, well, my conscience was guilty. And, but, you know, uh, you can... You can rewrite your own history to make it feel better to your conscience. And the closer I got home, the more I was convinced that I was like a prophet of God speaking to this man. I had stood and I had proclaimed the truth to him. Problem is, I asked my wife to pray for me before the event. She knows me. She said, how'd it go? I said, well, he resisted, but I stood before him like one of God's prophets. And I told him. She didn't even let me finish the sentence. She said... He spit it back in your fa face and you got angry and blew it, didn't you? <laughs> wow. It just bled off me. Maybe one of the hardest acts of my pastoral ministry was calling that man and finding him that afternoon. And tearfully asking for his forgiveness. I started asking for his forgiveness, and he began to cry until his whole body began to shake. And he said, I've pushed you and pushed you and pushed you, and yet here you stand asking for my forgiveness. And then he said, that God who has brought you to that is worth living for, and I want to know him. That man lives today, and he doesn't want to take his life. You see, it was my death. The death of what I thought was my right that God used to produce life in that man. Listen, if the Messiah had to lay down his life, do you think he will call you to anything less? Brothers and sisters, the reason we, don't, we constantly turn moments of ministry into moments of anger is we want to minister. We love the gospel. 
can I say this? But we love our lives as well. And you want to retain your position. You want to retain your rights. You want to win an argument. You want to gain the day. You want to be served. You want respect and appreciation and control. You hold on to life, and as you hold on to life, you actually get in the way of what God is doing rather than being part of it. And I believe with all of my heart, if you feel the church of Jesus Christ with individuals who live the lifestyle of ambassadors, we will change the face of our culture. You know what the church is actually filled with? And I'm going to be honest here. The church is filled with many kings who are busy setting up their own kingdoms. And you're trying to squeeze the glorious work of God into the claustrophobic confines of your self-defined kingdom. And God is calling you to be part of his big sky country, to blow you out of the claustrophobic confines of your self-defined world, to be part of the spaciousness and glory of his grand world. But you have to renounce your own kingdom. And I'm not a usable instrument if I don't do that. Because everything the Bible says is summarized by this. When you try to keep your life, what do you do? You, in fact, lose it. And when you lose your life, you find it. And so as, as I'm beginning to talk to you about the insights and skills of ministry, it would be heresy for me to say effectiveness in ministry is about knowing the right techniques and skills. Here's what's true. If you want to be effective in the lives of other people, if you want to see change of heart take place through your ministry, you must start with your own heart. The biblical model is death results in life. And that's why we're called to be God's ambassadors, representing his message, his, his methods, and his character. Now you say, well, what, is that, what does that actively look like? Well, there's a bit of an illustration here that, that needs some description. Notice at the top of this illustration you see a Band-Aid. Uh, that's often what people want. People don't understand that they have a heart problem. They don't understand how personal their need is. They really do think it is about the situation. And they don't understand that uh, the change God is calling them to is deep and personal. Uh, next to the Band-Aid, it says, fix it externally. People are looking just for an external fix. Husband and wife wanted to talk to me. I asked them what the problem was in their marriage. 
and immediately they said one another's name. <laughs> now, I don't know if you know what that means, but I'm out of a job. Because the husband's only there, why? To get his wife fixed. And the wife is only there to get her husband fixed. There's not a seeker in the room. And so we have to sell people on something different than just band-aids that, that don't actually fix what needs to be fixed. Our model is that what God wants to transform is the heart. Because lasting change always takes place through the pathway of the heart. And, and so... Uh, we want to minister in a way that targets the heart of the person. You say, how do I do this? Well, I've given you four words here. These four words we're going to look at for the rest of the day. They summarize the way that God brought change into our life. But as they summarize that, they give us a model for change. Let me give you the words. Love is first. Love has to do with building a relationship with a person in which the work of God can thrive. Let me say that again. Love has to do with building a relationship with a person in which the work of God can thrive. Not building it for me, not building it for them. I want my relationships to be a workroom of redemption. No has to do with really knowing people. You say, well, I do. I say you don't. We live in terminally casual relationships. You don't know, actually know much about people. You know facts about them. You know a husband that's attached to a wife and kids that belong to the family and a place where a person works and maybe something about their lifestyle. You may know their car, but, but I, my experience is you begin to sit down with a person, you begin to talk about their real story, you begin to hear their real struggles, and there'll be dramatic surprises around the way. Brothers and sisters, those terminally casual relationships are blunting the ministry of the body of Christ. Because you can't minister to that which you do not know. And we need to learn to know how to move into relationships where we really get to know people, not being nosy, but with a vision for ministry. Most of our people that we call friends are actually our acquaintances. And that's why, you know, you see it on the news all the time. Somebody will commit a murder and their neighbors will say, well, he was such a nice man. He went to work every day. His kids. All that means is we didn't know what, we don't know one another. Third word is speak. The Bible says it's the truth that sets us free. And, and so uh, personal ministry is about bringing the truth to people. Now here, this is not about self-righteous lectures. This is about helping a person to see themselves in the ministry, in the mirror of the Word of God. How can I be an instrument of seeing so that this person will see themselves in the mirror of God's truth? And then do has to do with applying that change that God creates to everyday life. There's a truth in counseling. It ought to be pretty obvious to us, but sometimes it's not. Change hasn't taken place till change has taken place. Insight isn't change. Commitment isn't change. There are steps to change. Change hasn't happened until those changes are lived out in the harsh realities of everyday life. 
And so I want to stay on site. I want to help the person as they're actually applying change to everyday life. Love, no, speak, do. Love, no, speak, do. And I am, I am persuaded that at the end of this day, you can leave with a new vision, but also practical steps of ministry that will help you to function as one of God's instruments of change. Let's just pray together. Lord, thank you for what we've already looked at, and we will make this confession to you. We don't want to die. We hold tightly onto our lives. We fight for our rights. We are often more consumed with what we want and what we feel and what we would like to accomplish than any of the work of your kingdom. And I pray, oh, by the work of your Spirit, would you make us glad at our own death. Free us from the claustrophobic confines of our narrow, self-defined worlds. Open us up to the grandeur of your big sky country. And may we be consistent and effective and perseverant ambassadors, sharp instruments in the hands of a Redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. For information about this resource and others like it, call Resources for Changing Lives at 1-800-318-2186 or visit us on the web at www.ccef.org. A CDR Communications Production.